Okay, so I think that's all sorted. So I'm going to start with um, Mangala Charan prayers and then uh, we'll dive in. Om Anjana Timirandasya Yananjana Shalakaya Chakshurum Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha Siddhanto Palasara Nityarasikam Hang Sang Vilasatmakam Audaryakya Sadama Sevakadanam Vishramba Bhakti Pradam Yakya Yukti Vichakshanam Thakavito Vishishta Shakya Sada Vande Hang Shaparari Namakayating Shri Bhakti Vedantinam Vancha kalpaturubhyascha kripa sindhubhyevacha patitanam bhavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha ajanulambitabhujau kanakabhutau sankirtanaika patarau kamalaya takshau vishvambarau dvijabarau yukadharma palau vande jagapriyakarau karunavatarau vande shri krishna chaitanya nityananda sahodito buddhadaye pushpabanto chitro shando tamonudau Vande Hong Shri Ramakrishna Abhaya Charana Sukau Sukadau Paramananda Sundaro Subalau Priyo He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagapate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vandana Kariti Mui Shakti Kata Shakti Dari, Tamo Budido Shemui Damba Matrakori, Tatapi Mukero Bakya Manera Ulas, Doshakshami Modame Koronijadas. So, welcome everybody. Um, I hope everyone's having a wonderful Kartik. Uh, thanks for being here. So, um, for this Kartik series, uh, Padmanabh Maharaj he suggested that uh, I speak on the psychology of Raj. And so my initial response was, uh, I struggle with the psychology of Madan Mohandas, so I didn't feel very comfortable, um, a bit outside my comfort zone, uh, especially as a topic I'm not so versed in beyond a basic level. But as I thought about it, um, considering it's Kartik, what better subject to get, get absorbed in uh, and to study so and read about and all these things um, and just see what Krishna inspires to share. So hopefully something of substance will come through, even though I'm far from being a vessel uh, of the psychology of Raj myself. Um, so although we'll never really be able to fully explore the psychology of um, the Vrajvasis in this series, or any series for that matter, I tried to pick a few important qualities of their psychology um, to not only explore in the rest of the classes in this series so that in, in the context of Kartik that we can, you know, relish the sweetness of them in this time and like this, but also hopefully consider how even these qualities can be applied in our own practice as sadhakas, no matter where we are on, in, in our stage of progress. Um, so as I say, although it was unplanned, uh, the topic, this series um, is actually also a natural continuation um, from the series I gave in June, some of you may have seen that series, The Refining Our Desire, because this is particularly the kind of psychology that we're desiring to have in the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Uh, this, we're refining our desire in this direction, so because we all want to be Vrajvasis ultimately, right? Um, so this series is uh, becoming more explicit, hopefully, as to what we're refining that desire to. So to start with, in this introduction session, 
Um, it's worth exploring the question, why do we even want to develop the psychology of Raj? Like what's so special about it in the first place? And why is it significant for us? As we know, God has many forms, many expressions of love. And as he says in the Bhagavad Gita, as we approach, he reciprocates with us accordingly. So there are many different ways that different devotees and, and lovers of God love God. And there are many ways that God loves us. But the more we refine our desire, we do want to become more and more specific in the way we love God and how we want to be loved. We, we want to hone in more and more uh, uh, with specific, specificity. <laughs> Sorry, strong stumbling my words there. But our Gaudiya school um, particularly emphasizes this particular love of the residents of Vrindavan, the Brajbasis, uh, particularly, and, and everything that they're about, really, for, for many, many reasons. Um, so to rewind a bit, as we, as we know um, from the Bhagavad Gita's uh, eighth chapter, um, the kind of consciousness we develop uh, in this life, the kind, you know, the impressions we take in, the desires we put out there, uh, all our actions and all these things, that it determines our future. And so the culmination of the impressions and desires that we have in this, this life form that we have right now determines our next life. Uh, you know, whatever state of being one remembers when he quits his body, uh, that state they will attain uh, without fail. So if we want to be born among those who reside in Braj, it's worth developing our psychology in that direction, uh, in the direction of the Vrajvasi psychology. And actually, in one sense, that's what our path is about, as hopefully this series will highlight. So it's worth knowing something of the psychology of the people there. Um, as a side note, a bit unrelated, I mean, it is related, but um, not on, on the particular topic, but just a side note related to this Gita verse I, I was quoting. Uh, it's quite interesting with the Vrajvasis that when they were mystically shown what they want, they were going to be in their next life. Uh, the con I guess from the consciousness they were developing, <laughs> they were particularly pleased to hear how they would be Vrajvasis once again. So even the Vrajvasis desire to be Vrajvasis. Uh, that's that's the body that they're cultivating in the next life, you could say, <laughs> in one sense. So there must be something particularly special about them. But for us, you know, being in the school of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we hear often that the love of the residents of Raj, the Brajvasis, this is the type of love that gives Krishna the most pleasure, the most enjoyment. Um, many, most of you probably will have read this in, in early on in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, because um, it's declared quite early on in, in the third chapter of, of the Adi Lila. So there, uh, text 3.5, um, says, Lord Krishna, the son of the king of Raj, is the supreme lord. He eternally enjoys transcendental pastimes in his eternal abode, Goloka, which includes Rajdham. And then later on, 11 to 15, says, Servitude, Dasya, friendship, Sakya, parental affection, Vatsalya, and conjugal love, Sringara, are the four transcendental mellows, Rasas, by the devotees who cherish these four mellows, Lord Krishna is subdued. Absorbed in such transcendental love, Lord Krishna enjoys in Vraj with his devoted servants, friends, parents, and conjugal lovers. Lord Krishna enjoys his transcendental pastimes as long as he wishes, and then he disappears. After disappearing, however, he thinks thus, 
For a long time, I have not bestowed unalloyed loving service to me upon the inhabitants of the world. Without such loving attachment, the existence of the material world is useless. Everywhere in the world, people worship me according to scriptural injunctions. But simply by following such regulative principles, one cannot attain the loving sentiments of the devotees in Vrajabhumi. So what is it about the Vrajvasi's love that even Krishna himself is subdued? What, what is it about them that allows Mother Yashoda to bind him? That's something we're all singing about at the moment this month, right? In uh, that Krishna allows Mother Yashoda to bind him, or the cowherd boys, the gopas, to wrestle with him, um, or the gopis to capture his mind uh, at all times. He's, Krishna's always thinking of the gopis, right? So one, one thing I explored briefly in, in the Refining Our Desire series was this spectrum of selfishness uh, to selflessness, and how our, all our scriptures take us th through this spectrum. And many nice things have been written and spoken about in our Sangha in relation to this, uh, especially the Bhagavad Gita being a journey along this spectrum of selfishness to selflessness. And similarly, Srimad Bhagavatam explores this concept, all pointing toward the love of the Vrindavan residents, uh, that being the topmost, the, the topmost expression of love, self because it's so selfless. Um, and that thing that pleases, that type of love that pleases Krishna the most, and then particularly the gopis. So anyone, even outside Gaudiya Vaishnavism, can understand this concept of um, selflessness being the best ideal in spiritual or religious life, even if we're unable to live up to it ourselves. Um, even you speak to most people on the street, they probably agree that, yeah, to be completely selfless is, is a quite a, a lofty ideal and, and may, maybe one of the best ideals to have, um, even if we don't, might not think it's possible. So we can understand on a pragmatic level how much of the suffering even experienced in this world is a result of selfish desire. I desire this for myself, and as a result, someone else must suffer. You know, I want to eat luxuriously, want to eat wastefully, someone else must go hungry. So, so many examples could be given. I'm sure you've heard many examples along these lines. So, all the scriptures of the world, they seem to point in the direction of reducing this selfish nature. Um, and developing a more selfless nature ultimately. So we find concepts that emphasize sacrifice, for example, embedded in all the religious and spiritual texts of the world. In one way or another, this, this chapter sacrifice is really emphasized. And the, the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is, is a great example of that, for example. And I like the point I've heard my Guru Maharaj make, um, Srila Bhaktivedanta Swami Triparari, uh, that human life is an opportunity where we can voluntarily make sacrifices, that in human life we can volu voluntarily make sacrifices. And because of that, sacrifice is an exercise of the heart, actually. It's an exercise of the soul. Because um, the example I heard uh, once is that nature tends to move a little more automatically, you know. So you could you could look at a mother bird. A mother bird gives uh, her baby bird a worm, and you could think, oh well, she's not gobbling up the worm; she's giving it to a little one. Uh, so you know, she's making a sacrifice uh, like this. But it kind of happens automatically too. Uh, not to take away from, I'm sure there's something there also, but uh, nature tends to move automatically. 
a lot more than in human life where we have a lot more free will to make make more choice in in how how we act and and how, where we put our attention and so how we decide to sacrifice for example and so by voluntarily voluntarily giving something of ourselves then we're exercising the heart or the soul and this is what bhakti is all about it's about doing this in relation center who can receive sacrifice unlimitedly um, so our nature is to give or sometimes said to serve the, the nature of the jiva is to serve uh, the swarup of the jiva if you will um, so we're units of giving um, so we can also choose what it is that we serve so krishna being that person who can take unlimitedly is the best recipient of that service. And so it will be satisfying to us also because everywhere else we give to, such as our senses and, and many other things, they're limited in their capacity to be able to take from us. And we all experience this on one level or another. So my Guru Maharaj, he wrote something very nice in this regard um, in an old Q&A Sangha that encapsulates this point that I'm trying to make. Um, he writes, the gods are proclaiming in this Leela that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that worship of him is the real interest of everyone. The best way to serve our self-interest is by worshipping Krishna, Govinda. We have to give of ourself. That is our very nature. We are a unit of self-giving tendency. We give ourselves to the mind. We give ourselves to the call of the senses, to the world. We have to find that place where giving ourself, our self-interest will be drawn out to the extreme. And in human life, we have the chance to do it, but time is short. So all the gods in this Leela have proclaimed to us that this is what should be done. They are all worshiping Krishna. How to worship him? How the gods did it is one way, but how the friends of Krishna and the other inhabitants of Rindavan worshiped him? That was far, far better and very extraordinary. So the Vrajvasis, they're the topmost expression of selflessness. And so as it's been said before, it's not selfish to want to go to Vrindavan if we, if we really understand the psychology of the Vrajvasis. Uh, the example, uh, many of you may have heard, I've heard before, that on, on this plane, um, you know, we wouldn't say that it's mo it's selfish to want to be like Mother Teresa, for example, someone who, who's considered to, you know, given her life selflessly for others. If someone says, I'd like to be like Mother Teresa, this wouldn't be a selfish desire because what it represents, what she represents and like this. And so it's a similar thing that it's not a selfish desire to want to be a Brajbasi, for example, if you understand what, what a Brajbasi is to some degree. And so... All those residents like Radha, Yashoda, Subal, they're all selfless to the extreme. They're only interested in what makes Krishna happy. And so naturally that's blissful also uh, in itself, but they, they don't do these things even for their own bliss. They, they don't care for their own bliss, but it, because their bliss brings pleasure to Krishna, they're blissful even because obviously Krishna likes to see his friends and family happy uh, naturally. <laughs> so, um, so then being happy also brings happiness to Krishna. So um, it's all selfless because it's all for the pleasure of Krishna. So Krishna can be, be the center in the fullest sen sense of the term in Vraj. If, if all others, including ourselves, by our very nature we're givers, then he can be the best receiver of this natural state uh, of all of us. So this, is, this makes Raja a very special place. And so it's sometimes pointed out 
this is where God can be himself. I love this concept that this is where God can be fully himself, that it's God at home. And, and those who he lives with are the fullest personification of selfless. And because everything they, they do is done to satisfy Krishna, their entire being, um, it's this desire, this desire to satisfy Krishna's senses. Um, this is their psychology. So in a sense, they're one with Krishna in that their will or their desire is Krishna's desire. They have their individuality, but it's all for the pleasure of Krishna. And so we also want to aspire for that, right? So we, we've been given such a great gift to have such a process where our selfish desires, they're gradually removed from the heart, but we also cultivate a desire to serve Krishna in a similar way to the Vrajvasis. And so, as, as I mentioned, all, all scriptures point in this direction of selflessness. And our Gaudiya literature, especially, points towards that of the Rajvasis. We've heard, many, I'm sure many of you have heard, you know, the Bhagavatam is there, mainly, even the whole of the Bhagavatam is there, all to shine a light on the glory of the Vrindavan pastimes in the 10th canto. And um, Srila Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami, he, he even pointed out, even the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita points to Vraj uh, in one sense. So this Sarvadharman Pritchaja Mami Kam Sharanam Vraja, this verse. Um, of course, we know it's not the literal meaning of Raj in that context, but it gives rise to the feeling of Raj to the Gaudiya Vishnavs. And so our Guru Maharaj writes in his commentary to 1866. Here, Krishna's mind drifts once and for all from the battlefield, rejecting Dharma, and appearing to advise Adharma, he speaks of Prema Dharma. Thus, as Bhakti Rakshak Sridhadev Goswami points out, the word Vraj in this verse suggests its most common meaning, Vraj. Although here it is a verb in the imperative meaning, yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah, sorry. That's all right, sorry. <laughs> Get caught up. Here, Krishna's mind drifts once and for all from the battlefield. Rejecting dharma and appearing to advise adharma, he speaks of prema dharma. Thus, as Bhakti Rakshak Sridhadev Goswami points out, the word vraj in this verse suggests its most common meaning, vraj. Although here it is a verb in the imperative, meaning take refuge, surrender, it also brings Krishna's home, land of Raj, to his mind. That homeland within the mandal of Mathura is the refuge of all souls. It is that place in which we find all things appropriate. In Raj, love resolves all contradictions and all things are possible. Everything has its place when properly adjusted, centered on Krishna. This realm exists because of the Krishna conception of the absolute. He alone is Akila Rasamrita Murti from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 111, the form of loving reciprocation in sacred aesthetic rapture. Under scrutiny, no other conception of the absolute facilitates the extent of loving exchange that is possible when one's notion of divinity is Krishna, the all-attractive, irresistible 
absolute. So, our Guru Maharaj also writes uh, another small excerpt from his introduction to the Bhagavad Gita along similar lines. Before coming to the big city of Mathura and later establishing his capital at Dwaraka, Krishna was raised in Raj. The setting of Raj represents the beauty of simplicity, the beauty of the natural environment. Krishna's father was a herdsman and Krishna himself a cowherder. Decorated with ornaments from the forest, its flowers, leaves and multicolored clays, and crowned with the conjurer's peacock plume, this Krishna, his, his only weapon, the flute, is said to be Krishna in fullness, Swayam Bhagavan. He is God when God wants to be himself, relaxing in the company of his intimate devotees, forgetful of even his own godhood to facilitate this intimacy. This Krishna is the connoisseur of love, yet subjugated by his lover, Radha. So, as we know, and this, this says here also, Krishna doesn't control in Vraj. Uh, he's carefree in Vraj. Uh, he's enjoying all day long. And so, as mentioned um, in, in what we were reading there, if anything, Krishna's controlled in Vraj. Krishna's actually controlled in Vraj. He's controlled by the prema of his devotees there, of the love of his devotees. So, considering Vraj is the place where the residents are so selfless that even God himself can um, kick back, you know, be himself, just relax, kick back, be himself. Um, what must their psychology be that he feels comfortable enough to do that, you know? Um, even, even to the point that he forgets he's God uh, sometimes. So, you know, what, what must the psychology of those around him be? And to go further than that, there's no meaning to Krishna without the Vrajvasis. He's dependent on their prema, on their love. Some of you may have heard uh, recently Padmanabha Maharaj, he gave a series on the Brahmara Gita and how Krishna is thinking always of the Vrajvasis, even when he's in Dvaraka. Um, so our Guru Maharaj says that he's more present in Vrindavan than anywhere else. Krishna is more present in Vrindavan than anywhere else. So I, I intend to expand on this idea more in, the, I think, the fourth part of this series, especially in terms of not disparaging other spiritual ide ideals, not looking down on other spiritual ideals. But for now, in a mood of glorifying Raj, I want to point out that we should not measure uh, Vrindavan as being topmost in relation to where we are in the world, uh, which is our tendency, naturally. But, you know, our, our kind of like circle of um, our compass, if you will, kind of measure, yeah, Vrindavan's higher than this, higher than this, kind of from where we are. But in, in, in the kind of mood where um, Srila Bhakti Rakshak Dev Goswami says, you know, change your angle of vision, we can, we can look at it in a little different way and, and, and think, actually, Raj is the center. 
this, this is what gives any other place uh, their gradation, so to speak, from the topmost planets down to the, the lowest, you know, spiritual or otherwise. What gives them all their own gradation is how much they reflect uh, the qualities of Raj, that place where God takes the most pleasure, where he's most at home. That's the measuring stick for what gives all the other dhams their gradation. So our Guru Maharaj writes in his 1866 commentary to the Gita, uh, there are many noble manifestations of Godhead, but Krishna is the heart of, the, of divinity. Other manifestations of divinity are no doubt motivated by love, but is the very act of love itself personified in selfless purity, giving him like no other. We'll expand on these ideas um, in relation to other types of love of God later. Um, not, not today, but later in the series. But for now, in an attempt to emphasize the glorious position of the Vrajvasis and why it's worth attempting to understand the psychology, why, why a series like this is worth um, attempting to some degree. Um, really, I want to make that point that what makes Krishna the topmost manifestation of God is his relationship with his devotees in Vraj. Um, you know, what, what makes Krishna Bhagavan Swayam? We've heard this verse many times, right, from the, uh, the first canto of the Bhagavad to Bhagavan Swayam. You know, what makes him the heart of the Godhead? So actually, Rupa Goswami explains what, what makes him the heart of the Godhead. Many of you will be familiar. In the southern ocean of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, uh, there, Srila Rupa Goswami, he points out that Krishna has four qualities uh, that mark him as the most complete expression of God, you know, the harmony, sometimes put. So this, I'll read this verse. This is 2.143 from the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. The four astonishing qualities possessed by Govinda alone are as follows. He is a wave-filled ocean of the most astonishing display of pastimes. He is surrounded by loving associates decorated with incomparably sweet prema. He plays sweet notes on his flute that attract all the minds in the three worlds. He astonishes all moving and non-moving living entities with the beauty of his form, to which there is no equal or superior. His extraordinary qualities are thus his special pastimes, his devotees endowed with abundant prema, the sweetness of his flute, and the sweetness of his form. These feet, so these four qualities, they, they all point to um, his relationship with the Vrajvasis. Obviously, Prema Madhurya is the obvious one, uh, you know, the special sweetness uh, of the relationships Krishna has with his devotees, the sweetness of that love. Leelam, uh, or the sweetness of his playful pastimes, that naturally points to his devotees, right? Because uh, all, all his play takes place in relationship to his devotees. We, that when we read about his pastimes, reading about what he's doing with his devotees in different ways, right? Um, and then Venu Madhurya, or uh, the sweetness of his flute playing, this is related to in that 
he uses his flute to call his cows, for example, to call his friends and to call his gopis. Um, and then Rupa Madhurya, that's that threefold form uh, that attracts attracts everyone and it especially attracts them that everyone in Vrindavan is taken by the beauty of Krishna. There are so many verses that ex uh, expand on this. Um, although I won't uh, give so many examples, I'm sure many of you got different examples of how his form has such an effect on the inhabitants of Raj and we can find so many verses. Uh, but I thought I'd read just a small excerpt in this regards in terms of how his flute attracts everybody, for example. So how his flute, the sweetness of his flute playing is in relation even to the different devotees. And it's from a nice um, essay on the Gayatri Mantra by uh, Srila Sridhar Maharaj. So it goes as follows. Gayatri, the song of deliverance, also means Sankirtan. Kirtan is also sung, and it also improves us towards the highest goal. The Sankirtan of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also reinstates us in our highest serving position. So Brahma Gayatri, in connection with Mahaprabhu, comes to mean Krishna Kirtan. Then it reaches Vrindavan and the flute Kirtan. And when we enter Vrindavan, we shall find that the sweet sound of Krishna's flute helps to engage all the Lord's servants in their respective duties. When the flute is sounded, the gopis and others are adjusted in their respective duties. At night, the gopis, hearing the sound of the flute, will run to the Yamuna, thinking, Oh, Krishna is here, is there. And when Yashoda hears the song of Krishna's flute, she thinks, My son is there, he is coming home soon. In this way, the sound of the flute engages all the servants of the Lord in their respective positions and inspires them to be mindful of their service. So the main points, even though I wanted to share that because I think it's very sweet, but the main point about bringing these four qualities that Rupa Goswami mentions is that Krishna is never alone. They, they all, what makes Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead is, is this, that he, he's, um, it's all in relation to his relationships with the residents of Raj. We don't come in touch with Krishna without coming in touch with his other associates. So what makes Krishna the Supreme Personality of Godhead uh, is these four things, all that have connection to the Rajvasis. There's no meaning to Krishna without his other associates. You know, these sweet relationships, this prema madhurya, these are what are so special about Raj. They, they all mark what God himself is all about. You know, even God's reason for existence, you could say, <laughs> it's like, it's mind-blowing. I, I, I find it's just like, <laughs> Krishna's at, at the center of these relationships, um, naturally. Uh, but he only reciprocates uh, with the different loving moods. It's, it's a very beautiful thing, as I'm sure you're all aware. So there's a nice verse, um, two verses from the Brihad Bhagavatamrita that I wanted to share, but especially um, Srila Sanatana Goswami's commentary um, to, to one of the verses. So the verses are 26211 and 212. It says, Every one of the millions and millions of the children, young people, and elders thinks, I alone. And most dear Krishna. 
just as the pure way they behave toward Krishna always confirms this ecstatic mentality, so does the way he behaves toward every one of them. And so then Sanatana Goswami comments, this Goloka ecstasy is not just an idle meditation. It manifests itself actively in the way the devotees deal with Krishna. The cowherds express their intimate love for him in everything they do, including their eating and ordinary household chores. And Krishna also shows by his behavior that he considers himself their property. There is never even a trace of duplicity in the loving exchanges between Krishna and his devotees in Goloka. Their dealings are Vishuddha, absolutely pure. It is not that Krishna truly loves only one of his devotees and with everyone else only pretends. Very beautiful. Um, and even the exchanges, so we mentioned here the household chores and, and other things, you know, even the exchanges may not always look selfless surface, but we should understand that that's what is underlying them. So by learning more about the nature of this kind of love, uh, this prema madhurya that they have in Vrindavan, we'll develop more of a desire to taste that love ourselves. We, we want to know how, how can we pursue such a selfless love? Like how, how can we also have such a selfless love like that? And the more, more we get a taste for it even, the more our practice will be driven by that taste. And that's what our whole process of bhakti in the Gaudiya Sampradaya is about. Um, our Guru Maharaj and, and other acharyas also very often point out this point that this, this Sampradaya, this is a Rag Marg Sampradaya, which means we follow in the wave of that deep natural love uh, that overflows the Vrajvasis or overflows from the Vrajvasis rather. Um, so their thirst for Krishna, their deep thirst for Krishna. We, we, we may not have the same thirst for Krishna, uh, but we want to follow that wave that's coming from them. And so, although I will discuss uh, Raganuga Bhakti briefly here, I'm not gonna go too much into it due to time, but I, I do highly recommend for anyone interested uh, in the topic, there's a nice section on the Shabda Brahman website where our Guru Maharaj um, gives a nice series on the topic. And also uh, more recently, um, Padmanabha Maharaj, he gave a nice series um, on the Raghavatma Chandraka. Um, so I'm, I recommend those for more details, but I'm just gonna be skimming over the topic just for the purpose of this foundation for the next sessions of this series, because there will be focused on the psychology of the Vrajvasis um, itself. I'm just trying to uh, emphasize why it's worth, worth looking and focusing on, on the psychology of the Vrajvasis. But it is worth saying a, th a few things about Raganuga Bhakti in this context of why we want to understand or at least hear about the psychology of the Vrajvasis even if we have a taste for so many other things in the world, we may think, well, you know, I've still got a lot of material desires or whatever it is, you know, I struggle with so many things. I have a taste for so many things in the world, but still we should, we should um, try to get, get some, something from uh, the psychology of the Rajvasis. So I spoke um, a little about Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Bhakti, 
um, in my previous series. So you can also review that if interested. Um, but this, in a nutshell, is what many of us are likely practicing, that we have a little taste for Krishna in Vrindavan. That's why we're all here even today, right? We've got a little taste for Krishna in Vrindavan. That's our aspiration. Um, we think, you know, on one level, we think, you know, yeah, I, we hear these things. I'd love to be a Rajvasi. That's, that's what I want. But that said, we do have also have a taste for so many other things in the world. And even maybe our taste for Krishna in Vrindavan is not very refined at the moment. It's not very specific at this point. But so through the power of the practices of Aidi Bhakti, even the practices of Aidi Bhakti are so powerful that we're gradually cleaning our hearts more and more from these other tastes, you could say, to make space for something much greater. And so I'll read two related quotes from the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu um, from the Eastern Ocean that deals with Raghunuga Bhakti. So this is from 12291 and 12292. The qualification for Raghunuga Bhakti is as follows. That person who is greedy for attaining a bhav similar to that of the inhabitants of Raj, who are fixed solely in Ragatmaka Bhakti, is qualified for Raghunuga Bhakti. The appearance of that greed is indicated when the intelligence does not depend on rules of scripture and logic after realizing to some degree the sweetness of the love of the Vrajvasis through the process of hearing from the scriptures. So I'll read that second one um, one more time because it gives an indication, you know, how, how can one be qualified for Raghunuga Bhakti, you could say, you know. Uh, so the appearance of that greed is indicated when the intelligence does not depend on rules of scripture and logic, after realizing to some degree the sweetness of the love of the Vrajvasis through the process of hearing from the scriptures. So now remember, like we've been speaking today, how dear the Vrajvasis are to Krishna. They're so dear to Krishna. So I've heard our Guru Maharaj uh, make this point that even if we aren't qualified, so even if we don't that, you know, in the context of what the qualification given here by Rupa Goswami, even if we don't have a taste or a greed in the way that this verse specifies, to have an aspiration for the mood of those who are most dear to Krishna captures Krishna's attention um, actually in itself. And so will be very powerful. So it's worth hearing about the residence in the hope it may spark more and more and draw more and more mercy even, and more of a desire in ourselves and more of a greed in ourselves to attain such moods. And hopefully this will also enhance our sadhana um, like this. So as 12292 uh, was saying, the second verse I read, what one realizes to some degree that sweetness of the love of the Vrajvasis, like how, how does one even realize the sweetness of the love of the Vrajvasis through the process of hearing from the scriptures? So we, we, we all have heard this so many times, right? Shravanam Kirtanam, Shravanam Kirtanam. We know Shravanam and Kirtanam, they're emphasized so much uh, by our teachers. And by hearing, we can become more attracted and refine our desire for that type of love. And the more that desire intensifies, the more we will make progress. I really like um, 
in Srila Narutam Das Thakur's uh, Prima Bhakti Chandraka, in the sixth song, he, uh, he, he writes, Manera smarana prana madura madura dhamma yugala bilasa smriti sara sadhya sadhanai ihaboi aranai e tattva sarva tattva sara. The divine couple's sweet, sweet holy name is life of the mind's memory. Their pastimes are the best remembering. Remembering them is both the goal and the way to attain it. That is the truth of all truths. This book is not the only place that it is said. And similarly, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, in 12294, Srila Rupa Goswami writes, remembering the Vrindavan form of Krishna and his dear associates who have inclinations for service similar to one's own, absorbing oneself in hearing topics related to them one should always live in Raj. So we develop initial attraction by hearing about the Rajvasis, and we develop an attachment, a greed, more and more, if we've made that our aspiration, um, by watering that aspiration, by hearing about Krishna's pastimes. And we want an attachment. Uh, you know, we're not the path of Nyan, where we want to be detached from everything. We want some attachment. Uh, and we will become more detached from other things um, as a result, as Krishna says in the Gita, by developing a higher taste. Um, and it's true, of course, we, we can't imitate higher stages of bhakti. And especially we can't imitate the type of love that the Vrajvasis have for Krishna, or even the, the deep thirst and greed that maybe others further along the path have. Um, especially, you know, we can't imitate the Vrajvasis. How is it possible to genuinely imitate selfless love if we aren't selfless in our own hearts? So in high, higher stage sadhana, we may refine things in that direction even more to pursue the moods of the Rajvasis. And it's worth understanding that at least at any stage, wherever we may be. But in the cleansing stage, it may not be possible in the full sense. But even though that's true, given that we've graciously placed on this ragmarg as Ajati, Ruchi, Raganuga, Sadakas, in a general sense, even. There's so much we can be inspired by, uh, by hearing about the Rajvasis uh, and hearing about their service to enhance our own service to Krishna, even now. So even if we don't feel inclination or agreed for a specific bhava, it doesn't bar us from taking advantage of this process. And this is how we awaken that greed. And my hope is the, the rest of the, the um, sessions in this series will help in that. And the, and the, uh, the Vrajvasis, <coughs> uh, the Vrajvasis, they, as, as I was saying, Vraj is the center of existence, you could say. So the Vrajvasis are naturally pleasing Krishna just by being themselves. They're, they're in their own orbit in one sense. But their qualities also teach us so much, no matter where we are. So one of my favorite qualities of Krishna um, as, as I'm sure many of you are aware, in the Southern Ocean of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, there are 64 qualities of Krishna listed. Of course, Krishna has unlimited qualities, but 64 main qualities are listed. 
um, in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And one of my favorite qualities uh, from that list is that he can accomplish many things with one task. Uh, he's, he's quite clever in that way. So I'll, I'll read the verse that describes this. And actually, yeah, it's talking about his cleverness. Uh, so this is uh, from verse 2, 186. So the, the word is chatura. Uh, it means clever. And so the verse says, a clever person is one who brings a solution to many problems simultaneously. And uh, Srila Rupa Goswami gives a very nice uh, example in his next verse. Krishna gives bliss to all the cows by composing cowherd songs. He pleases the gopis by the movement of his brow. He brings joy to his friend by heroic action. All of these simultaneously give fear to Aristasura, seeing how fearless Krishna remains. So, although Krishna's pastimes uh, with his dear associates in Vrindavan, with the Vrajvasis, is a leela amongst themselves, they are the center of the universe, like we were saying, the center of existence, but they do also serve to attract us and also give us some guidance how we might come closer to that and, and come closer to our desired goal of being a Vrajvasi ourselves. And so although we're advised against imitating the Vrajvasis, uh, we can try to imbibe something of their mood. Um, and like I say, this is what our process is really about. And this series will, will explore um, three, three particular aspects of their psychology. Um, obviously, you know, there are so many ways we could go with this kind of title, the psychology of Raj. But I, I've chosen three particular aspects of their psychology in the hope that it helps us in our own practice, wherever we may be on the path, and also encourages us to follow in those footsteps of those devotees. So um, that's all for today. Uh, that's going to conclude the introduction because then next time we'll actually get into the psychology of Raj. Although obviously we talked about it in, in one sense in terms of this selflessness today. But I'd like to open up if anybody would like to unmute themselves and to share anything, ask any questions or corrections, these kind of things, um, please feel free to do so. Haribo. Hare Krishna. It's Shamananda here. Hare Krishna, Sham. Thank you for the class. It's a wonderful topic, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to hear where this quality was listed about um, accomplishing many tasks with one, one action. Because I've been searching, searching for that, and I found something like a, sim a similar statement about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Chaitanya Charitamrita, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love that verse, if you could send that verse. That, I'll, 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 I'll swap verses with you, we could send okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have to find it again, because that was a while ago, but, but I, will, oh. I will try to find it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I, 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 it's a really nice um, verse, isn't it? that cleverness. <laughs>
Yes. We, we, we see it play out. I'm sure we've, met, we've all got that experience in our own lives too, right? When we see how Krishna acts in our lives in different ways, something will happen that will teach us kind of many things on different levels and, and kind of accomplish many things even. Uh, I, I find that, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the COVID pandemic was like that. It was like one thing, you know, but that changes so many things on so many levels for everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> Total like. Whew. Thank you. Thank you for your comment, Sean. And okay, well, if there's nobody else, um, then uh, yeah, just thank you for for joining. Uh, oh, is there a Spanish? I just heard some Spanish, so I'm not sure if there's that's a. Something. Oh, no worries. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah. So next time we'll continue with the um, the actual psychology of, of the Rajvasis. Um, so have a have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, looking forward to more more of these classes this week. Uh, been catching up and uh, yeah, really wonderful. And yeah, have a great Kartik. Hare Krishna. Madam Mohan Prabhu Ki Jai. Jai.